So hi and welcome everybody to another Meet the Author. We've got some exciting uh, news for people because we've got several of our own community members joining us today. So you've seen them uh, join the discussions before, but they are actually authors and they're going to share with you what they've written with some of their coworkers and friends. So Gary, I'll give it to you to take it away. Thanks, Tamara, and welcome everybody for, for joining us. And including we're on live stream as well, which is really cool to hear. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased um, to welcome not only one, not two, but three, all three authors to today's show. So welcome Tony Machera, Machera uh, Ron Ferris, and Jim Meredith to our show. And the book we're going to talk about is Critical Steps, Managing What Must Go, must go Right in High-Risk Operations. Now in the chat panel, I put in the, the book's website. So you, if you want, you can click on there and you can read their three bios as well. But what we want to do with our very short time of one hour is really ready to get right into the book. And I'm gonna do that by starting off and asking Tony, why did you three collaborate to write this book? What need are you fulfilling? Well, you know, if, if the uh, participants don't already know, I had written a book that was published by Routledge back in 2018 by called uh, Risk-Based Thinking. And uh, that was a focus on human and organizational focus, the application of the science associated with resilience engineering and high reliability and safety, other safety sciences. And uh, I realized I had some blind spots in that book and, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Rosa, but once you write a book and it gets published, everybody knows not only what you know, but what you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, you know, I knew a lot about critical steps, which was a chapter in risk-based thinking. And I thought, you know, there's a lot more there. There's a lot more practical application of that concept in, 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 in industry. And so at first I, I knew Ron was interested. He had shown me his, uh, his uh, uh, passion about that concept. So I asked him, you know, would you be interested? So, and then I, I connected with, with Jim and I'm not sure what, how, how we, uh, um, what the occasion was, but I realized Jim has an insight into research and the science communities more so than I, I did. And, uh, and so <clears throat> I invited him to, to participate and it's been very, very uh, worthwhile to have that give and take, the, uh, the, 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 the challenging of ideas and concepts. And uh, it's been very, very beneficial, even though the, the, the size of the book increased by 50%. <laughs> Good to hear. Right. Ron Ferris, who are the readers you had in mind when you wrote the book? Yeah, so... Jim and I and Tony all come from an operational background. We were all Navy nuclear operators, and um, that's kind of our base uh, perspective. Now, all of us obviously have diverged in our experiences and done a variety of things, some similar, some different, and, and there was a benefit to that. But looking at um, who needed this type of information, one of the things we wanted to do was write a practical book in, in very common terms so that Anybody could pick this up. They don't have to deep dive into the concepts of high reliability, resilience, or HOP. And we, we want to put something together for that folks at the front line, at the, at, the, at the pointy end of the spear. But we also recognize there's information that's valuable to all levels of the organization. But the perspective was that front line, the folks that really bring safety to the organization. So the front line supervisors, managers, and those folks that turn the wrenches, flip the switches, and, and make the, the organization function and produce a product was the, the focus that we wanted to, to bring. But in the, in the process of that, we looked at, you know, the planning aspect of work, the pre-work discussions that occur, and then the, the very specific hands-on work in high-risk industries. Mm -hmm. How does this apply of managing critical steps through that process? So in consideration, that was it. But the, the focus was in the operational world. When we say that term though, we mean all aspects that support operations, not operators per se. All right, okay, good. Well, when I went through the book, I, I noticed that the book was divided into eight chapters. And I really like how each chapter includes at the end, key takeaways, checks for understanding, things that you can do tomorrow. 
So it really supports what you're saying, Ron, is that it's a, it's a book, it's a how-to book, and you know, a lot of it can be used by line managers um, to move their safety forward. Mm-hmm. From the flow, three kind of um, themes surfaced for me, and I did chunk the book this way and during my chat with you, it seems to work for you guys as well. The first part was me, was a part about understanding risk and human performance. So we do a good job there. The second, you started talking about managing risk in terms of work progress, something called risk important actions. And then what really I liked was critical step mapping. And the last part was integrating risk principles while reinforcing systems thinking. So for the show, I just like to tease down, look at those three parts and talk about it. So Jim, I'm gonna start off and ask you, really it's in the title of the book, what's a critical step? Well, a a critical step is any human action that triggers immediate, irreversible and intolerable harm to something important, an asset. If that action or preceding risk important action is performed improperly. And it was a a phrase that uh, Tony and some of his cohorts um, originated for the the nuclear industry that that we picked up and uh, actually started using in the Department of Energy uh, was kind of a a chicken and egg thing. Uh, Tony describes the origin of the term as actually uh, starting with uh, nuclear weapons. And um, we spent some time understanding in the Department of Energy just what the commercial nuke folks were talking about. And we all kind of arrived at the same place eventually. In fact, the nuclear weapons folks now have adopted uh, the use of critical step that the uh, commercial nuclear power folks led by Tony and crew had had originated. And um, it was a kind of an aha for a lot of folks because there had been uh, an emphasis over the the years, especially in the high-risk industries, on uh, identifying and managing risks at uh, greater and greater spreads to the point where there were um, a lot of folks identifying critical steps that in fact did not meet the definition. And um, to give you an example, uh, we actually uh, manage critical steps individually in our, our daily lives, our personal lives. Uh, if you think about walking down a set of steps with a newborn in your hands, critical step. Uh, if you talk about driving at freeway speeds uh, on six lane interstate, certainly a series of critical steps. Uh, one of the things that, that we use in our book is an example of a, um, a hang glider. Um, individual wanted to go for a, a ride, wasn't really qualified, so went with an instructor and they did a tandem hang glide. Um, things went real well, um, with the exception that when they uh, were preparing to take off, they forgot to clip the safety line for the individual that was riding as a passenger to the hang glider. And so they ended up taking off with this individual just hanging on, no actual physical support. So. The critical step there was uh, the takeoff. The risk important action was the actual hookup of the, the harness to the, the hang glider. In this case, that individual was lucky to survive. They did, but they were injured. So um, when we look at critical steps, it, it's something that has uh, well-defined discrete uh, attributes and it has the advantage of when you've gone through and done a a good job of identifying critical steps, uh, opening up some of the performance of other things that maybe had been previously considered and and treated as critical steps. Yeah. Uh, Gary, let me jump in here. There was one of the, going back to the nuclear weapons operations, they they used the word hazardous step. They also used critical step, but they used a lot of adjectives that were vague, uh, such as likely or may or probable. And uh, I wanted to remove those kinds of, uh, of uh, temptations to rationalize from the definition. 
you know, what actions will kill you? What actions will break this piece of equipment? What actions will uh, uh, cause the, uh, the, uh, the, the organization to fail? You know, those are the key. I wanted it to be very specific. You mentioned in the book something called landmines. Can you kind of expand and um, how do you use the term landmine in the book and relate that to critical steps? Well, you know, uh, the idea of landmines <clears throat> is uh, what we consider a hidden critical step in the operation. And going back to the hand gliding example, uh, here, here are the two individuals uh, running down the slope, catching the wind, and there's a landmine. The landmine is that uh, his the 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 tourist uh, harness is not connected to the frame of the of the of the glider. That's a landmine. It's just like a you know think of a landmine in the military sense. You know there these are devices in a in a in a, a parcel of land that you know the enemy is going to walk through and they're hidden from view. <clears throat> and so the idea is that the workplace has you know, sources of pressure and high temperature and, and uh, fluids and chemicals and so on that presumably are under control, but may not be because of preconditions that have either been met or not met. And so that's the idea of risk important actions. Risk important actions can create danger or they can create safety. And in some cases, these risk important actions create danger and no one knows about them. Yeah, right. So let's take a pause and just open it up to the audience. Does anybody else use similar words to uh, critical steps in your experience? Um, Dick or Tanya, Fred, Tom, any comments, thoughts? In my experience, the people close to the work know pretty well where these landmines are. And mm -hmm. They just need to take a minute or two or three and talk together and share because each one of them knows where some are. Nobody knows where all are. And yeah. in sharing that information, they can learn a lot and, uh, and make the whole situation more safe, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, this is where the conversations is really important. You know, the teamwork between uh, uh, co-workers, you know, one person may recognize the landmine, another one may not. And so, you know, they can they can help each other avoid those the the harm that could result from that. Yeah, yeah. Quite often when we're listening to stories that the people are sharing, you hear the story that says, oh, don't do what Henry did. <laughs> then it's like, oh, so what did Henry do? And then that conversation, I didn't realize, but I do now, led to a critical step. But also, as you see, these steps before that as well. Really good point. Well, so you Gary, know, we I see yep. that we have some hands up. Tom, did you have okay. something yeah, you wanted you go, to Tom. share? Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Thanks. Yeah, I, I guess one of the challenges, and I mean, it's an interesting concept. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I'd, I'd like to, um, is this balance between the critical tasks, and I guess the area where I'm more normally focused, which is the creation of landmines. So they're things which create risk, but it's not an immediate risk. And I just wondered whether it's appropriate to separate the way you manage your critical tasks in a completely different way to what I would normally call safety critical tasks. You know, we refer a lot to safety critical tasks, but some of them won't cause the problem until minutes hours years later you know we recently mm -hmm. discovered a design flaw that's been there for 50 years um and so i wonder whether you think it's important to separate the way you manage critical tasks with immediate impact versus delayed impact the landmine creation yeah yeah let me jump on that we th it was important to make that distinction and uh, i believe they're managed differently uh, the critical steps are those, obviously, the way we've defined it is we want the workers to know right away before they go out and do the work, <clears throat> what will bite them, what will uh, uh, cause harm immediate to, to the key assets. And that's one of the differences, you know, Gary mentioned critical step mapping. Uh, in, in, and I, under, I, I try to make a distinction between safety critical uh, task analysis versus uh, the critical step mapping. 
critical step map or a safety critical task analysis looks at hazards and human error while, while safety uh, uh, critical step mapping focuses on assets, assets that are exposed to danger during the work and, and the, the possibility of losing control of the built-in hazards that could cause harm during the work. So that's the focus of critical steps uh, uh, versus safety critical task analysis. But uh, the, the, the long-term uh, uh, potential hazards that are built in like landmines, that's the ongoing uh, 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 effort of the organization to find those things, search for them, eliminate them uh, through organizational learning, systems learning, and so on. <clears throat> but on a day-to-day -day basis, we want to avoid causing uh, a harm with that particular job on that particular day in those particular contexts. And, 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 that's the, and we wanted that to be explicit. We don't want to leave that to chance. We don't want people to just th uh, think everything is critical. I think Ron had said that earlier. If everything's critical, nothing's critical. So I'll add to that, uh, the, the emphasis uh, that we try to bring forward in the book is in ensuring success. Yeah, and good point. Th that's, a, that's a bit of a, a change. Um, those things that are identified as critical uh, and the actions that lead up to those, the risk important actions, set the stage for success. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be able to identify those that are critical uh, also help ensure that you're identifying those things that will help your business succeed mm -hmm. and to manage those actively. And then the conversations around the dynamics and the complexity of high risk operations is what help keep you focused on success and recognizing when things are changing, being able to adapt, being able to uh, pause as necessary to ensure that you are successful. You don't endure a, a failure that can be in some cases uh, life-threatening to individuals and to the, the company. Yeah, uh, let me add to that. Uh, one of the key attributes of critical steps is the existence of pathways, pathways for transfers of energy, pathways for the movement of matter from one place to another, liquids, gases, and solids. And then and we also include uh, trans, uh, transmissions of information or data. You know, any of those, uh, that's what, that has to happen in order for work to happen. And it also has to happen for harm to happen. And so, so it's important that we narrow the scope or the, the, the focus of critical to those occasions where you're going to transfer energy to add value. And if you lose control of this transfer of energy, and exceed the critical safety parameters of those key assets, you're going to cause irreversible, intolerable harm. That's the idea right. of critical in our book. Right. Okay. I see two hands up there. We have um, Tamara. Why don't you go next? Yeah. I, I guess one of one of my struggles is that often in language, when I'm hearing people speak, they always refer to the employee. Right. And I'm not hearing a lot about that mid-management level that supervisor and management level where to be quite candid with you in my career, those are the influencers mm -hmm. that have actually facilitated um, critical incidents, right? Right up to people's deaths because they wanted something done mm -hmm. and they didn't as management take the time to step back and reflect on what could the dangers actually be. Now, um, I'm not from a high risk environment. I'm from retail um, grocery, right? But even there, there are, there are areas in that commercial space that are highly dangerous and could be life-threatening, right? Depending on the situation. So I just kind of wanted to see what are your thoughts about that and how do we navigate management? So I'll answer that to start. So one of the things that I think is most important and we provided it in the book is um, to get people to act differently, you gotta get people to think differently, right? You gotta think them into action. And one of the things we provide in the book is a glossary of terms that are associated with the process we describe. 
and, and the approach that we've described to. So if we all speak the same language and we think and have a mindset associated with managing critical steps and, and addressing and identifying these landmines, we have a different approach to the way we, we go about work and how we assign work and how we think about risk and manage that risk. And I think that's the most important part of this is we've got to get, we've got to think people into acting differently. And one of the things this book does is it, I, I think it moves that uh, in, in the right direction is to provide that rethinking about risk from a, a different perspective. Tony, I'll, I'll add in uh, here too. I, I think probably both of us would point to uh, the emphasis that we place on the line managers going into the field and, and not with some of the more traditional um, focus, which tends to be, you've got to do so many field observations per month. And these are the things that are currently on our short list that we need you to go interact about uh, because those have shown to be actually not very effective at understanding what's actually happening in the field. So. Uh, the emphasis, and I've, I've heard this from Richard many times, uh, and I'm sure that you'll jump in too, Richard, is on getting out and understanding, listening, uh, developing, as Rosa suggests, the relationships uh, with the folks in the field such that it is a lot more um, about the line manager understanding than it is doing a, a checkbox of did they do this step and then this step and then this step. It is um, understanding the variability in the work in the field. It is not going with some of the, the more traditional views of work, which is if you would just follow the stinking procedure, things would be okay. It is understanding that in high-risk environments, things are always variable. Today is rarely just like yesterday, even if you're doing the same tasks over and over. And being able to, to factor that into how the overall approach to managing the risk actually works is the emphasis that we have in the book. And that starts with line management. Yeah, we, we add to that that uh, managers don't necessarily have the same level of technical expertise as the frontline workers, but they have an they have a innate fear of the technology. They respect the technology and understand there's a lot of landmines. We used that word before. There's, there's chaos in, in the in workplace, and so they prepare the frontline to adapt, if possible, to maintain safety of the key assets. All right. Okay. Um, I'm just noticing the time. I'll, we'll take one more, Tanya, and then uh, move on with asking some other questions. So Tanya, go ahead. So um, I just want to preface this with not, I don't mean to diminish uh, anything about um, what's already been said. I know that there are high risk operations and, you know, you need to make sure that you control the energy and that you understand, you know, what's going on. But I'm wondering if perhaps these concepts could be broadened beyond just the strict definition of can this kill you and can this, you know. Um, I had heard Shane Bush talk about being an HR manager in a previous life and it, one of his staff giving out a job offer to the wrong candidate. Like mm -hmm. that, like that shouldn't happen. That's, a, that's a, you know, nobody died. There was no risk of anybody dying or anything like that. It's not that kind of a no, thing, no, no. but I think it still merits attention. You know, yeah, like having, having, yeah. yeah and don't, don't, uh, mis don't misconstrue. Notice I said energy, matter, and what? Information. So that, 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 uh, that job officer offer that went to the wrong person is a transfer of information to the wrong person. So I would include, it, yeah, it applies. It impacts the reputation of the company. We would yeah. include that. As I a would. As a critical step, yes. But we have to, you, you have to, you have to toe the line. And the problem with frontline workers, that, that's where most of the mission is accomplished is at the frontline where work is happening and where the, the value is being created. But if it's a, if it's a, 
an office type environment, you're still creating, <clears throat> excuse me, you're still creating value with information. And so, you know, in fact, you know, we, one of the uh, events that we use in our book <clears throat> is about a, a clerk uh, selling, entering the wrong uh, uh, stock code and selling off stock for the wrong company. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just by hitting the, the enter button, that's a critical step. Uh, as you're all talking, I'm thinking about uh, the early book on normal uh, normal accidents way mm -hmm. way back when. That there's all of these invisible factors going on that we're not even aware of that that mm -hmm. are impacting the outcomes around us. And I am on a quest to figure out uh, what language to use, uh, how to communicate the importance of uh, emotion as information. Mm -hmm. of uh, the relationships between people as it well trust that trust is a va very valuable source of information right and those are things that you know more by feeling and intuition than than you do by measuring quantitatively and I'm, so I am I'm loving this discussion because uh, the pathways for the transmission of data um, one of them is simply uh, our own bodies and how our brains pick up on each other's emotions and, you know, in our feelings and how that's impacting everything around us. And how do we, how do we talk about that in a way that, that uh, engineers uh, can connect to and give credence to? And I saw Fred, you were nodding your head there. What was, what was that about, Fred? <laughs> You're oh, I, I had, a, had another issue to bring up or to, to address after you finish. Okay, but I, I just wanted to hop on the 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 relationship factor here because it it occurs to me when I I reflect on a horrific um, incident that happened in in Metro. I think I shared this with the group previously. Just to synapse it for some people who may not know, was a a, a death of a seventeen year old first week on the job um, worker and a, um, an assistant manager going into mental health facility uh, because of a horrible accident that occurred in, in one of the, the stores. And when, when it was found out that this had happened, it was very interesting because Mr. Gilling in our store, who has been a manager for 42 years, and, and one of his biggest things was making connections with each and every worker that was in the store, no matter what designation they were at, right? And, and he, he just, he, he plummeted down to his chair and he, you could just see the, 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 co the color drain from him in fear, like, could this happen in my store to one of the people here? And, and a real concern about one of his workers not realizing the dangers that they could be putting themselves in if they followed suit like what these other workers had done under another manager's um, direction. And, and you could see that it really drove him to, to then wanting to frantically make sure that he was protecting like his people, he, he, he would refer to it. And, and it was interesting because when we talked to other other store managers, they were just, they, they felt it was a horrible thing, but they didn't really see how it could be avoided. Where this man, he actually then took immediate action to let other people know in the store that, that he, it, like they weren't to do anything if they didn't feel safe and to always come to him. And so it goes back to, to what we were talking about before the word love and caring. And to me, that that is a gentleman who really um, went the extra mile there, and it made mm -hmm. a difference mm -hmm. in the culture of the store. Yeah. So, so let me use your your story there tomorrow to move on to the next piece, and that's shifting our attention in terms of the work execution process. And in the book, you write about three general phases: preparation, execution, and learning. But because of our limited time, we'll just look at the first phase only and talk a bit about your, your incident. So in the prep phase, you guys write about that frontline workers must have a sharp vision of what is to be accomplished on what success looks like. 
But then you also say you must understand what is to be avoided. So how do you connect that with critical steps and this interesting concept of failing safely? Who'd like to take that on? Sure, I'll, I'll take on the, uh, the component here. It's okay, so one of the things that, <laughs> that we looked at is um, by understanding and defining what a critical step is. And quite often what we have seen at, in high risk industry is this idea that Tony talked about earlier, which is that you know everything's important everything's equally unimportant. And because a task involves risk, quite often we elevate every action associated with that to, to that level. And what, what our book does is help them increase their focus and narrow that focus on what absolutely must go right by leveraging the definition and challenging that against the So in the preparing, uh, preparation, planning, and, and, and the, even the execution phase, we start to understand and, and have a common term that helps us. And so one of the things that we put in the book, and I think this is a valuable, if you would, error prevention tool, is what we call a critical step hold point. And so this hold point, if you, if you think about getting on an airline and the pilot just before takeoff does a big variety of things to make sure that he's ready to take that critical step, put us in the air, which I'm glad he's doing. Uh, obviously, we all fly quite often. And he goes through a checklist. Well, that checklist isn't every risk important action, if you would. And so risk important actions, we, we take and compare and contrast these two things, these two concepts, risk important actions and critical steps. And by knowing what those are, we help our frontline folks, our preparers and planners to be able to say what must absolutely go right. And then we challenge that in the pre-work discussion. And not only if it doesn't, with a focus on this critical step, if it doesn't go right, who will do what when it does, not if. And if you change that language from if to when, it changes the, the, the mm -hmm. answers you get back from that audience. And to me, that's the important one. It's, so that helps you fail safely. Yeah, I was surprised when I've asked that question and I've challenged many folks in a variety of industries with that question. And you would be surprised if everybody thinks that because we're about to do this high risk work that we know what must absolutely go right. And what you find out is you don't, not everybody's on that same page. And that's an interesting challenge to, to ask your folks. And then if it goes wrong, who will do what when it does? Everybody might be going the wrong direction. Everybody expects somebody to be doing something that, that maybe they weren't prepared to do. So that mental preparation helps folks. So when it does go wrong, we are mentally prepared and we speed up the process and we're more accurate in their approach to that managing the risk when it, when it fails. Because the reality is we do fail. There's things that those landmines, those things that we don't know exist, or there's aspects of the work that we've done that set us up in the, in the risk important conditions that are preceding these uh, critical steps that are necessary. So this risk important condition is what we're validating. We're not checking every risk important action that was taken. Uh, take the hang glider uh, discussion we had. There's a variety of things that happen before they take off, but the condition was, am I hooked? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not gonna go back and check every single thing you did to prepare to get on that hang glider, but there's a couple risk important conditions that should have been verbally asked and answered and validated before the takeoff. And that, that didn't occur. And then there was a, a, an undue risk to harm to that individual as a result of that. Yeah, okay, great. Gary, Gary, I just want to interrupt. Uh, I think Fred had a question, right? Yeah, Fred had a comment or a question. Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, what, all of the ideas that are, are, I think, fantastic. I think the, the focus and the, uh, uh, relevance of checklists is very uh, important approach. What what seems to me that a lot of these factors boil down to as to whether they're actually implemented or, or utilized is a financial consideration. All businesses are in business to make money and to sustain their operation. And what I was wondering is if in preparing the material in the book, if you'd looked at what the costs or the cost savings would be in taking this approach toward uh, risk management issues. 
<clears throat> I can jump on that. Um, there was a, a utility, a nuclear utility in Canada who looked at uh, the cost of human error in their nuclear power plant operations over an 18 month period. And uh, it was on the order of $80 million for, for their whole suite of nuclear power plants. Now you might think, well, for a nuclear power plant utility, that may not be a whole lot of money, but it's still, it, it's a big chunk of change. <clears throat> and, uh, and the cost associated with human error is not so much with the mistake, it's with the consequence. Either the, the you know either you got to replace equipment or you got uh, 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 liability claims or you have uh, lost opportunity costs those kinds of things. So I don't have any numbers to put put uh, uh, put to your question, but we do talk very uh, candidly in the in the last chapter that the executives need to understand the business case associated with applying critical steps. And so the, the three questions we pose is, what's the benefit of helping people understand critical steps? All right, we go through that. What's the benefit to the organization? And then what's the cost of making that happen? Maybe there's a, there's a training cost. Uh, there might be some administrative costs associated with changing vocabulary, changing some policies and procedures, maybe even training, you know, making, making some changes in training. Uh, and how you do pre-job briefs or pre-work discussions and post-work discussions, that kind of thing. So there's time that you have to devote to those aspects of preparation and, and learning phases of work. But then the last question is, you know, you've talked about benefit, cost. What's the risk to your organization if you don't do it? If we don't talk about critical steps, what's the risk that you're opposing to your organization? So that's that's the way we approach the business case. The, cha the challenge to me, that... I, was, I was gonna say that the challenge to me seems to be the, the uh, balance between cost avoidance with uh, if something doesn't work right, mm -hmm against actual actual expenses of, of operations and one of the big ones i think that that is a, a challenge to overcome uh as an example I, I used to work on the shuttle program and if you one day delay on the shuttle was one million dollars for mm -hmm. um, for nasa and so any delay or slowdown in the process related to safety uh issues, risk management issues, has a cost, a direct cost associated with it that managers and executives see uh, immediately. They don't see immediately the cost avoidances, and it's a harder that's thing right. to balance against. And so that's, that's that, right. I think, is a big challenge that we face. Well, it's easy. You know, this is an old, this is an age-old problem. This is not a new problem with any initiative. And we had the same question in the commercial nuclear industry is what's the value of excellence? You know, this is the question that Impo uh, uh, put to rest back in the late 80s, early 90s. What's the value of Impo to the industry? Why, why pursue excellence? And uh, similarly, you know, they came up, they realized that for a nuclear power plant, that's maybe a 600 megawatt uh, uh, utility or electric power plant. Uh, generally, if you lose one day of, of, of production or generation, we're talking about 1.5 to $2 million per day in lost revenue. And it only takes one mistake, one loss of control, one critical step that could put you in that situation. So the question is, is, is it worth $2 million to implement critical steps in your operation just to avoid one day? I think the answer is, is pretty obvious. When we went at it from the other direction. I'm sorry, Cody, but if it were that obvious, wouldn't everybody be doing it? <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, you would think, but the, that's why we wrote the book. We wrote the right. book because not, every, not everybody knows these things. Uh, the commercial <laughs> nuclear industry has adopted it. Jim, <laughs> I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's, okay. that's a good just, point. That's a good point. I, I was just going to say in the... Uh, the Department of Energy, uh, before critical steps really was adopted formally, we were using the approach in the research community because we found that using the 
prescriptive checklist for all levels of risk was in fact uh, not helping. It actually uh, created issues because we had so many shutdowns or pause works because of uh, violations that weren't going to cause a significant issue, but they were violations. And we had a lot of audit mentality coming into the business. Uh, we adopted the, the box where you couldn't go outside these areas. You could operate within the box, but you had to specify those areas within that were critical and make sure that you executed those flawlessly. And we had a really good example where in most of the research community, uh, we allowed expertise to fill in the white space between those dots in one particularly um, uh, nuclear uh, power influenced area, uh, we had a requirement where PhD chemists had to be told each solvent to add to a calcine to try and dissolve it. And they don't need to be told. They understand how solvents escalate in efficacy as you go up. But because they had specified, okay, add water, if that doesn't work, then you're going to have to go back and change the procedure because you don't actually have permission to add the next solvent. We found ourselves in a do loop and we uh, wasted a whole lot of time and energy trying to do something to modify a procedure that was unnecessary because there were no critical steps in that particular aspect of the work. Uh, and you can do a comparison. Uh, that actually can be costed out. Yeah. And it is something that uh, many high-risk industries uh, already do. I mean, if you look at the chemical business, you look at the oil and gas, you look at um, transportation, they are costing those things out. Uh, the, the cost of a, an exhaustive checklist versus the actual uh, potential for... Um, intolerable harm uh, is something that, that people just naturally do. Let me uh, add one thing to this conversation about cost. Uh, one of the things we address in the book is that by managing critical steps, you also free up all this bandwidth of, of folks that are associated with work, such that we narrow our focus of where things must be absolutely right uh, and these risk important actions and conditions that we create for critical steps. And it opens everything up to gain efficiencies so we can go faster instead of slower, not over prescribe as, as Jim was talking about, back off on the over prescription, over uh, number of written procedures for every single action. When we're hiring experts or we're training them to be experts, why do we, where do we feel the need to over-prescribe every single action? I mean, just take your car, for instance. If we wrote a nuclear procedure to go start your car up, you would never get out of your garage today. You would be <laughs> pulling out tomorrow morning. And, and I just think about that every single day. There would be so many things and my checklist would be so big and my procedure would be so long and I'd be going through the tech manual and, and I couldn't even turn my radio on yet. You know, it would just be mind boggling. But that's what we've done to the industry. And we've done it to a lot of industries. And so with this approach, our belief is by narrowing that focus of where things must have to go right, it actually allows you to, to fail and fail in a way that's actually okay. Because we all know that we learn from failing, but we believe in the world of high risk that failing is an absolute sin when in fact it is not. It's a natural part of being human. And we've got to consider that in that process. Then that brings an efficiency and a cost savings it's a challenge to put a, a, a monetary value to, but it's one that's real. And if we can help management understand that, uh, I think there's a better uh, probability of adoption of this approach. Great conversation. Where are we at, Gary, for time? Yeah, I'm just watching the time. We're in the last 15 minutes. Um, well, let me, let me I mean, make one more point here. because well, it's an important no, no, Hold on, Jim, because there's, um, there's so many things that we want to talk about. <laughs> For 158 pages, boy, did you guys pack a lot of stuff in here. <laughs> let, let me just say this, is that there's a whole chapter on risk important actions, which is um, a really good read. There's a whole chapter on critical step mapping, which we just lightly touched upon. 
And I found that really fabulous, interesting. We're not even gonna talk about Eric Honig when Fram, you guys covered that in the book as well. But I do really wanna get to the last part because this is a how-to practical book. And the last chapter is entitled Integrating and Implementing Critical Steps. And I just wanna say that you guys make a distinction between integration and implementation. Let me ask you, why do you make that distinction? Uh, let me jump on that. Um, it was there too often managers think that it, when they in, uh, in, institute a change in their organization and the way they do business, they think it's simple enough just to tell people do this or do that or write a procedure. And then they feel like they've done their job. When in fact, that's the programmatic aspect of any kind of change. You're going to change the policies, the processes, the programs. But what that's that's the implementation of of any in any change, but integration is all about the hearts and minds, the way people think about risk, and so the, and the principles of uh, human and organizational performance, H and O P, and so we we talk about uh, uh, we look at the integration going parallel with. Imp, ex, uh, implementation together we call those execution you know that you're you're we're, you know operationally we're executing a, a critical steps but integration is is a, basically uh integrating risk-based thinking and what i call risk-based thinking is based on harry kolnagel's work uh in resilience engineering anticipate these are the four cornerstones of resilience anticipate monitor, respond, and learn. Those are the four cornerstones of resilience. And so to, to make that happen in an organization requires leadership. You know, the programmatic aspect requires a management mindset, but to, to adopt and, and think in terms of risk management using risk-based thinking is a leadership challenge. Cool. I'm going to circle back to the point I was going to make. <laughs> and it has to do with integration. And uh, integration does not occur without interaction amongst mm. the people in the organization. Yeah. And uh, part of the, the reason uh, that we, we bring up uh, resilience is because uh, we're writing for high-risk industry. And complexity says that stuff happens, things change, things are, are always evolving. And the the focus on critical steps gives us the, the bandwidth that we can give back to the people that actually allows them to have those interactions and to think beyond just the procedural requirements and the checklists and to have those ongoing, robust, technical, interdisciplinary conversations mm -hmm. about yeah. what's really happening in our facility or in our complex or in our business. And what does that mean? Are we actually where we think we are? And what are we going to do with what we now know? And how will we apply that? And then we just keep doing it. And that is the process of getting this integrated such that it stays functional. Cool, right. And I see that you, you also write about a four-stage approach to use to implementing mm -hmm. you know, in there. So Tony, maybe you can just briefly tell us what these four, four stages are. Well, basically, uh, you know, when I uh, encounter or engage a uh, leadership team, an executive leadership team, <laughs> I basically give them, here's the technology, here's what H&OP uh, uh, is about, here's what critical steps is about. I give them, we talk about the business case, uh, uh, the value of the concept and practices to the organization. That's what I call exploration. So we're, I'm letting the, the, organiz, the, the managers, the executive sponsors, the decision makers, here's, here's the information you need in order to make a decision whether or not to proceed with critical steps. Uh, if they buy in, all right, they have to buy into not only the the programmatic aspects of it, but also the the uh, the principles and practices that go along with it, uh, not only at a worker level, but also at the manager and executive level. 
And so the next stage is preparation. Let's prepare, let's, let's, let's gather all the uh, uh, information we need to, to start uh, to plan. Where are we? Where do we need to be? Uh, how are we going to bridge that gap? It's basic management 101. So what are we going to have to do to, to make this happen? And then before they actually go um, full scope, I encourage organizations to do stage three, which is an interim stage, to uh, do a pilot or to run an experiment to see with a, with a well or high performing organizational unit. You don't want to apply critical steps with a poor performing uh, organizational unit because they're going to they're going to improve regardless <laughs> if they if a poor performing organizational unit in, applies critical steps they will improve you want to see improvement with a top performing organizational unit that will convince the management team yes this works and so once once they have the information from the from the pilot uh, that's where the four stages and I end is full implementation, and that's a basic management approach. Cool, great. I don't, Tom. I, I want to go back to you because you had your hand up for some time, Tom. So, did you want to make a comment there? Yeah, I was really wondering how this. Sorry, sorry, Rosa. Okay, go ahead. First, Rosa, go ahead then. Yeah, did you say that one should do the pilot with a poor performing team? Or a high performance team. You want to do the pilot with a high performing team. Because if there's an improvement with a high performing team, that shows that there is indeed value with the process. Right. Good point. Okay, Tom. Uh, I'm interested in how this works when the wheels are starting to come off, if you like. I mean, I see a lot of critical tasks. Critical tasks tend not to occur when things are going well. They occur and build up very quickly when things are starting to go wrong. Um, and then you do see really critical tasks. And I was looking at the analogy from aviation where it's not just the design of the checklists and the pre-training, it's crew resource management, how people communicate, and also some really fundamental behavioral change about making sure that you scan the environment, understand your options before you make the decision on the individual critical task per se. So I wondered, how you approach that wider aspect of it. it's not just the task, but also how you manage the team to make the best decision. This, and how you manage this, the yeah, this goes back to the four stages, Tom. Uh, the idea that managers have to buy in, they have to understand that this is not a worker management issue, even though that's where most of the critical steps will occur is at the in the workplace. But the organization as as a as as a as a uh, enterprise. There's a number of things that have to change, not only in the workplace, but also with engineering, uh, with the uh, line management, the, you know, the, the uh, scheduling of work, the planning of work, and the resources required to perform that. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, that's why this buy-in, this preparation stage is so important. And so managers and executives have to understand that they too have to change their behavior and their thoughts, their thinking, as well as those at the front line who are doing the work. So it's, it's across the board. It's not just workers changing, managers and executives and supervisors are changing as well. Yeah. So it's, that's why we, we in, in this, in, in this uh, the, the, second, the second stage is preparation. We, I encourage organizations to designate a resource champion <clears throat> at an executive level. There has to be an executive who is bought in, who becomes a champion of this approach and, uh, and resources the, the, the change management process. Right. And this champion has a playbook. Yeah. yeah. So what's, what's, this, what's the idea of a playbook? It's basically a change management plan. Uh, the playbook is, is basic management 101. Where do you, you know, what's the vision or where do we want to be? <clears throat> Let's do a self-assessment. Let's find out what we're doing well that we want to keep. And, uh, and let's bridge the gap with things that we're not doing so well. And then uh, uh, develop your plan, check, adjust, and so on. It's an iterative process. So there's another aspect, I think, to what Tom's asking there. And it's more real time, if I'm mm. understanding you correctly, Tom. And, and I think the 
the utility of critical steps in that heat of the moment is that folks are thinking about what is a critical step. Yeah. And if you're thinking about uh, intolerable, uh, irrecoverable, immediate hazard to an asset before you actually push the button or open the door. <laughs> 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 He's gonna get my four dogs going. <laughs> you know that that presence of mind that you you are fixing to execute something that in fact is a critical step is a valuable concept for folks to have as they're interacting because then they have time to do a self check. Uh, we go through some of the human performance tools that help folks keep the emphasis on getting things done right the first time. Yeah. And being able to think in that way uh, gives you another barrier to those those things that crop up, those landmines, and recognizing this time to stop, step back, and and get some assistance. So, doc, Dr. Todd Conkman talks about the concept of failing safely, and I'm I'm sure all of you have heard him speak on this term. And we actually validated with him. We we put together a definition because we hadn't heard it well defined. And we actually put that definition in the book, but we spend a bit of time talking about this concept and expanding on failing safely. And I think that's an important aspect of what we're talking about. And when you go to these pre-work discussions um, and, and you just generally ask, oh, what's the worst thing that can happen? They also throw in the caveat today. And, and so that broadens the, the thing out so big. I mean, a meteor could hit, a plane could fly into the building. I mean, it just gets crazy. And people say, you know, Somebody could fall down the stairs, somebody get killed. Well, that has nothing to do with the work we're about to execute, nothing. And so what is it relative to the task that if it goes wrong, what will we do? And when it does, who will do it? That narrowing that focus changes that conversation. And I'm telling you, it's 180 out. It's the most important conversation you can prepare your workforce to go execute work. And then if that doesn't go right, what will you do? Uh, that to me is that that real time discussion. And if things change, it's time to put a pause on the work and reevaluate it from that same perspective, including finding these hid, hidden uh, landmines that we're talking about. Because of the potential, I've seen a lot of landmines that folks didn't see. And I've stopped work and said, have you guys thought about? And they didn't realize it because they were so focused. Uh, and we've got to help them understand those pathways Tony was talking about. Great topic. Yeah. We could go on for an hour on this, Gary, but unfortunately, we are at the top of the hour. Yeah. So, so I let, think we should do this again. Yeah, well, let, <laughs> let me end this particular session, and maybe we do have a part two later tomorrow. So I'd like to end with um, three takeaways. And I'd like to ask each of our, our authors, what would they like to leave behind with the viewers? Tony, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, I'd say... To me, the obvious uh, takeaway is is uh, is using the basic definition we offered uh, earlier about what is a critical step is take that wording and uh, perhaps make a poster out of it. You can start using it next week uh, in, in your operational uh, uh, workplace and uh, ask people to think, you know, what's what's the most important thing that has to go right or else we will cause serious harm. So you can do that. To, you can do that tomorrow. Great. Ron, how about you? Yeah, so for me, I, I think uh, the, the important thing to take away is the idea of, you know, how do you actually bring safety and, and recognizing that despite all the dysfunction that organizations have, your workforce is actually bringing safety every day. They're closing that gap between the work is imagined and the work is actually performed. They're the ones that are closing that gap despite the dysfunction. And how they're doing that is through adaptive capacity. They're adapting and adopting to the dynamics of work and their ever-changing risks that are associated with it. And they do that on a daily basis. Organizational drift is always seen as a negative when in fact, it, quite often it's, it's a positive and you gotta figure out why they need to drift away from your standards and expectation and understand that if you do that tomorrow, I think you'll discover some of the things that, that's creating that dysfunction. Cool. And last but not least, Jim. Oh, Jim, you're on, my, you're on mute. You're muted. <laughs> Can't hear your dog. That was protective. <laughs> the, the value of the robust technical interdisciplinary conversations in an ongoing 
manner can't be overemphasized. In fact, uh, the only way you're really going to know what's going on in your complex work environment is through those conversations. And they need to cross organizational bounds and they need to be conducted in uh, ways that are very well described by, by Rosa and, and several other folks uh, in establishing, maintaining, and building those relationships. Cool, great. Well, Tamara, we're at the top of the hour. Um, I just like to end. I, I'm just seeing a collaboration of you, three authors plus Rosa, and you're looking for the next book, which is going to be called <laughs> Critical Steps with Love. Right, yes. There you go. <laughs> so over to you, Tamara. Absolutely. This is a great conversation. Thank you so much, Tony, Ron, and Jim, for giving us your time today and choosing to share your knowledge with our community. That is amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you, um, everybody, for joining us today and being in the conversation. We love having these and uh, looking forward to the next one. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Love to be in here. Thanks, guys.